Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. Today, I have a lovely guest named Nick Danu, who's from Victoria, British Columbia. She is a yoga teacher and yoga therapist who practices yin yoga, yoga for anxiety, yoga for back pain. She does yoga nidra. She has a wide range of yoga tools that she uses for her students, who she lovingly calls yoga for misfits. And so we begin this conversation talking about what it means to be a misfit, that sometimes that is an external look that you have about you, that you just don't feel like you fit in, but that oftentimes there are people who even look like they fit in, but inside they don't feel like they fit in. People with neurodiversity, people with anxiety, that even though they've managed to somehow look like they fit in inside, they don't feel like they belong. And socially, it could be very awkward, that type of thing. So we start off talking about feeling like a misfit. And then it takes a strange turn, which actually kind of plays back into the feeling of not belonging and not being included and not feeling understood. And that turn that we took unexpectedly was all about how do we sit with people who have different viewpoints than us? And that could be political, that could be sexual, that could be intellectual, that could be just spiritual, religious. There's many different ways we could have different viewpoints. It could be social justice. It could be LGBTQ rights. Like, How do we sit with people who have a different perspective than us based on their life experience, their life upbringing, what they were taught to value, what they were taught to believe in, because it starts as a child that we almost get brainwashed by our caregivers. And so sitting with that discomfort, trying not to be having our buttons pushed, working with the breath, working with watching our own thoughts, like, here you go again, there you are judging. And of course, we're not talking about abusive situations and the isms. Of course, we would speak out about those. But this is just kind of working with that internal dialogue. As Nick says, can I remain humble? Can I remain curious? Can I admit to myself that I don't know it all? And that looking back at my life, I see where I have messed up. I see where I had a misperception and maybe even gone out and apologized, you know, seven years later, as Nick will tell one story. And I think this is really a great episode as we go into the holidays, especially with family, friends, colleagues in these social situations where we're going to inevitably find ourselves in really uncomfortable conversations. And can we take the yoga off the mat and breathe and feel and be clear about our beliefs and our values and in a kind way, call out and say, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's correct. And here's why let's have a real conversation about this. And then other times, just as she says, get curious and say, okay, what don't I know about the situation? This person has a different lived experience than I do that I need to just kind of shut my mouth and open my ears and see what I can learn from them. So the conversation is pretty delicate. We hope that we had a skillful conversation, but I think you all will let us know if you feel we did not. 
And I think both Nick and I are committed to listening and growing and being imperfect and being in relationship with people that sometimes can be uncomfortable. So here we go. Let's go meet Nick Danu. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We are so grateful to you, our listeners, for staying with us all the way to season six and over 100,000 downloads. We've had several hundred episodes and we would love your support to continue to produce the podcast. You can become a Patreon member or you can download our mobile app called The Optimal State for both iPhone and Android and join in the community that is gathering around the mobile app. So go ahead, download that app and then enjoy the guest of today. Thank you for joining us, and we appreciate you being here. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Nick, where are you located? I live in Canada on a little island just off the west coast of Canada called Vancouver Island Mm. in the enchanted city of Victoria. Beautiful. That is a gorgeous place. Have Mm -hmm. you lived there a long time? Seven years now. Originally, I'm from Alberta in Canada, which is, uh, for those of you in the U.S., sort of right below Montana, Wyoming, Mm -hmm. right above. We're kind of above there. So that's where (laughs) I was born and raised, right outside of the Rocky Mountains, like a stone's throw an hour away from the Rockies. Yeah. I'm always embarrassed with my Canadian friends that they have to do that. <laughs> like give us landmarks when we could clearly just look at a map and figure out where Alberta is. <laughs> We're used to it. <laughs> so Nick, we have a mutual friend, Pamela Crane, who thought you would be a wonderful guest. And when I looked at your website, number one, I was so impressed with your branding. I don't know if you have a marketing background, but it is exquisite. But the thing that just jumped out at me. And I said, yes, I want to get to know this person. I want to understand who she is and the kinds of things she's offering to the world because you called yourself yoga for misfits. I mean, that's kind of the niche that you work with, the types of people that you work with. So what does that mean to you? Yeah. It took me a while to get that clear. Of course, I, like most yoga teachers, started out with no niche whatsoever, just kind of I mean, I was teaching therapeutically, but like I didn't have like a specific population in mind. And then I started with calling them yoga for the rest of us, but that still wasn't quite clear. Mm -hmm. And yoga for misfits, it came about because I, as myself, am a misfit. Mm -hmm. And I never in a million years when I started taking yoga would have like ever considered going to a yoga class. Like I was actually bribed. I was a hairdresser at the time. I used to be a advanced hair color educator and a hairstylist. Mm. And my colleagues wanted to do this beginner yoga class. And it was on our day off in the morning. And I was like, I just had this idea in my mind and I'm generation X. So when I was thinking about yoga, I was picturing that PBS special from the seventies with the you know, the one, the unitard and the long braid. And I was picturing Birkenstocks (laughs) and granola. And so there was like nothing about that that said, this is for you. I was doing physical practices at the time. Like I actually, for a couple of years, was a competitive bodybuilder. And so it's not like I was anti moving my body. I just was like, that did not seem to have any cool factor to me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So as a kind of 
punk rock, heavy metal kid. I just, you know, grew up with that total generation X. And then when they were saying, let's go to yoga, I was like, why, why would I want to do that? You know, um, <laughs> you with the leotard people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I, why, why are we doing this? And it was also, I'm not a morning person. It was in the morning on my day off. So they just, to me, it just seemed like there just was zero pull. Finally, after much persuasion, I was bribed with lattes delivered and door-to-door pickup and delivery. And so I was like, okay, fine, let's go do this beginner yoga class. And I was hooked immediately from that first class. I looked at my friends and said, I'm going to do yoga for the rest of my life, yoga forever, like just bam. And I know now why I didn't at the time, but I now know that I have anxiety. Mm. At the time I didn't know I had anxiety, I thought it was just kind of a thinker, kind of prone to worry. It wasn't until I moved here and my anxiety got like really bad when I changed my whole life, as one does, this will trigger some things that I realized, oh, I actually have anxiety. The reason I didn't know that before was because I was so high functioning that I had this stereotype in my head, which I think a lot of people do, that if you have anxiety, that you're prone to panic attacks and you're hiding in bathrooms with paper bags and you're medicated. And so this was kind of the idea or the picture I had. This was before my yoga therapy training as well of what anxiety was. And so I just didn't know that I had anxiety. But what I did know is after that first class for that 90 minutes, my mind was completely focused and present on what I was doing. And I left that class feeling like I was walking on cloud shoes. Yeah. Like I was in this otherworldly state. And all I knew was whatever this was, I wanted a whole lot more of what that was. So I definitely wouldn't have been attracted to yoga had my friends not been so persistent. I don't know. I mean, maybe I would have found it at some point. So but. they had already been, they kind of knew that they were going to get the cloud shoes. And they're like, Nick, you have to come experience. They actually hadn't. Oh, really? No, they were just like the group I worked with. We were very, very close, like very close. I mean, I held one of my colleagues babies when it was eight minutes old, like just very close. And so they were just looking at it as like a fun activity because as soon as yoga was done, the six week registered beginner series, they were on to other things. Let's do a cooking class. Let's. And I was like, no, no yoga, yoga. I'm (laughs) staying over here. You go do your own thing over there. I'm going to stay here. So (laughs) I don't know what sparked it, but. You know, I think so many people listening, whether they're from the general public or yoga teacher or yoga therapist, that moment when you go to a yoga class and at the end, you're like, what the hell just happened to me? Yes. 90 minutes. Like it is an unbelievable feeling. And I think that feeling is why we have so many yoga teachers and yoga therapists, because many of us had that exact same experience. And like you probably didn't realize we had anxiety and didn't realize that there was something that could be helpful with that anxiety. Mm-hmm. You told me just before we got on regarding the yoga for misfits, that when you defined it, maybe I should go back to how you define it on your website. And I'm going to just pull that up on the screen for anybody who wants to go to Nick's website. It is www.nykdanu.com. And so... Tell us your definition of a misfit. Took me a while to get this specific because at first, like I said, I just kind of said the rest of us, which is a component for sure. But basically I ended up describing me before I found yoga. So 
mm. uh, Generation X and sometimes early Y who don't feel at home in mainstream yoga circles. So these are the alternative folks like the punks, the rebels, the underdogs, the introverts, the geeks, and the bookworms. Mm. So people that they see yoga as something that's like too granola or, you know, too woo woo, or there's all kinds of words that they use. Granola and woo woo are ones that are, are common or like I'm feeling a little offended because I do own Birkenstocks. <laughs> so do I actually, apparently I do now, but, um, but you know, for those that are more likely to wear Converse runners and Doc Martens and army boots, than Birkenstocks, they have the stereotype in their mind about who yoga is for. Mm-hmm. And of course, as yoga professionals, we know yoga can be for anybody depending on who's teaching it and to which populations and their approach. And so it just became really clear that a, that was a a group of people that were not being served and that I was uniquely suited to serve them because I am them (laughs) just with yoga. So the other thing is that within the the yoga therapy for many years, my focus, and even before I became a yoga therapist was I did a lot of therapeutic mentorship and my first teacher training had a real focus on it. And so I was helping people with back pain. And as a former hairstylist myself, (laughs) I know a thing or two about back pain and wrist injuries and shoulders and neck and all of that. And so that was something that I had really dove into. And I, I realized I ended up working with a lot of former hairstylists also a lot of tattoo artists just based on the communities that I was part of and hairstylists might be more likely probably to join a yoga class, but tattoo artists definitely were like, what? No. So it became really clear that I needed to speak really directly to those people in order for them to know that like, this is here for them too. And so that's kind of where Misfits came from. There's also a couple of little spins on that, that there's the punk band called Misfits. So most people in that community would know that band, at least even if they didn't listen to them. And then also, I'm sure many of us, depending on your age, and if you're way younger than me, you can still find it, I'm sure, might remember that little cartoon we all watched at Christmas with Rudolph. And then there was the toy, the Misfit Island, right? And so there's that kind of a feeling to it as well. And so that's kind of how I decided to niche down into that community. Now, that being said, there will be people that will come to my class that don't, at least on the outside, look like what I'm thinking of as a misfit, but they feel like a misfit or they read the words on my website and they're like, oh my gosh, that's me. Okay. So maybe they're not, you know, covered in tattoos or they're not punk, but like everything else ticks all the boxes. So it's been really interesting just to see how many people identify as a misfit that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. Like I wouldn't be walking down the street and think, oh yeah, you're who I had in mind. And yet they come and they, they love the class. Well, I'm going to have a confession here that when I looked at your website, I don't tick any of the boxes that you listed there. Like everything you just said, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. But I think there's a whole group of us that are neurodiverse mm-hmm. that identify with just not feeling like we fit in socially, mm-hmm. just feeling like I don't really belong. I'm always on the outside of the conversation and I don't really know how to get into the conversation. So I think that, like you said, someone might not look at me, a 50 year old white woman who's highly educated and seems to have this really nice life, probably granola. I don't think from the outside, people would think that I feel like a misfit. Mm -hmm. So, Can you talk more about the people who come that 
maybe look kind of mainstream. Maybe they've even mm-hmm. made themselves look mainstream to try to blend in. But inside, we just don't feel like we are one of the club. I've actually been tempted to add neurodiverse to that description because I, I'm also, <laughs> yeah, I have ADD and dysgraphia. So like I, I get it. And maybe I should. I think that even if people are not kind of on the edgier side of that misfit, you know, there is things like introverts, geeks, bookworms also in there. And I think so that attracts a lot of people. And I think a lot of people may read that part and maybe they don't check all the boxes, but then they read a little further down in the copy where I describe some of what most people who I end up teaching have experienced in a class if they were brave enough to go or what they might be worried about, about going to a yoga class. And I think that those descriptions are a bit more universal. So, you know, I talk about accessibility, about the fact that you don't need to be fit or flexible, or if the thought of just attending a yoga class makes you anxious. And then I also describe an experience which was common. And again, these words are not my words. These are my students' words. So this is from interviewing my students and asking them specific questions about like, what about my class is different? What do you mean by that? And really getting detailed. And so, you know, this experience that I described where people maybe did get brave and they got their yoga outfit on and they went to a trendy studio and then they totally feel like the odd one out. The class feels more like boot camp than yoga. They're always looking around to see what they should be doing. They're not getting guidance from the teacher. Things aren't being made accessible for their bodies. And so this is a really common experience for people who just, again, don't think they're yoga people because they have this Instagram idea of, or who knows, I mean, it's in every advertising right now too, of what a yoga person looks like. And so I think when they start to read that copy and they go, oh my gosh, that's me. Even if they don't have any tattoos or fun colored hair or anything, they're still resonating with that feeling of feeling like they don't fit in. Yeah. I mean, to the point, and I'd like to ask you about this, I cannot and have not for 20 years gone to a yoga studio. It goes beyond, I don't fit in. It goes all the way to, I don't want to do yoga next to another human being and hear them breathe. And it's overstimulating to me. I don't feel like I can relax with that many people in a room. I just want to be at home doing my thing and the outfit that I want. I don't want to suck my belly in to try to fit in. So do you do classes online for people like me that just literally cannot handle even going to a yoga studio? I do both. Unlike a lot of yoga teachers, I was actually planning to start Zoom classes long before the pandemic hit us and I actually had a date set. Like I was going to do it in June of 2020. I was going to start because I have a community where I'm from in Calgary, and I was always getting emails from them saying, I still can't find a class like yours. I can't find a teacher who teaches the way that you do. I've tried a bunch of classes. Nothing's a good fit. I'm still not doing yoga. And this is, you know, five years in or four years in. And as much as that's a compliment, it's also heartbreaking. And so it became clear that I'm offering something online for them would be good, but I have done pre-recorded video online and there are some, and I've done some with a company here that's local called Do Yoga With Me and they're online. So if anybody wants to check them out, they can. I'm no longer filming with them at this moment in time, but I realized that the only way that I was be willing to do online classes is if I could actually see my people and they could see me and we could see each other so that there is this sense still of community while each person is in their own space with their own pets, 
with their own tea and their PJ bottoms and whatever it is that they love. And so I initially was going to start just one class a week thinking that my Calgary folk would join. And then of course we all know what happened March-ish 2020, you know? And so I was like, okay, so I was going to start that in June or we could just start those right now. And so I do still teach on Zoom. I also teach in person. I have one therapeutic class that is in church, actually church space. And it's in partnership actually with the church. It's not a religious class, but they feel really strongly about having therapeutic trauma-informed, you know, sliding scale yoga available to the community. So we partner on that class. So as much as you are still with people, it's definitely not a studio vibe. It's way more casual. And then I also do teach two drop-in classes a week at a studio, only one at this point. It's kind of the exception to my rule because I also don't love studio culture. This one in particular is pretty special. And so I make the exception. I don't even like teaching drop-in classes. So they're an exception for me in all the ways, but I agree with you. As an introvert and someone who's, you know, I'm just going to throw out all the letters now, a highly sensitive person, often when I want to be guided by somebody else for yoga, it's when I'm at a feeling of being pretty drained, pretty exhausted, kind of licking my wounds. And so the last thing I want to do is be around the people. And so I totally get it. I would love, I don't at this point, but if I had a teacher that I really, really loved and respected that offered like a weekly class on Zoom, I would hands down sign up for that because... To be able to still engage with the teacher and also the community to whatever extent you want. So in my classes, we do a check-in, we do a hello. It's just a your name, where you're coming in from. We started sharing what we were drinking, and that's on me because at the beginning of Zoom, apparently I drink strange looking liquids. And so someone inevitably in the chat would be like, What are you drinking? And I'm like, Oh, this is honey, turmeric, and lemon in a big mason jar you know, or this is matcha or this brown stuff is so I just started sharing what I was drinking and then it just became a trend. So people share about their tea choice or whatever. And then just a word or a phrase to summarize how they are. And the people always have the right to pass. I've got a hand signal for that. They just bring their palms together and bring their thumbs up to their forehead if they don't want to share, or they can type in the chat if they'd rather. So the sharing is always optional, but I found that even the introverts in the group really love seeing the same faces every week. And some of them have been now doing this with me for three years. And so if if somebody goes into a different time slot, they're like, oh, where's so-and-so for this class? And it's like, oh, they're on Mondays now. So yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people will ask me like, do you prefer in person or Zoom? And I refuse to choose. I think they both have some incredible gifts that I want to keep both. I'm 100% Zoom. And I think that's an interesting take too. If you feel like a misfit or neurodiverse to protect your own energy, to not have to be in the room with a lot of other Mm -hmm. people that you don't really feel that comfortable with. So I think there's quite a few of us yoga teachers and yoga therapists that have said, we are just staying 100% on Zoom to protect our own mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, I think... You know, when things started opening up again, I actually did ask because what I thought would happen with my Zoom classes is that the folks that weren't local would stay. And then the folks that were local would probably start going back to in-person. And that has not been what's happened at all. I do have some from my Calgary folks, but a large percentage of my Zoomers are in my same city. Yeah, And they just have fallen in love with being able to do it at home. I had one student say, and I thought it was so funny. She's like, I love that I can breathe as loud as I want here. 
I don't have to feel like I'm bothering anybody or, you know, that I can do yoga in my pajamas or I can do yoga with my pets around and my own tea. And so, yeah, I think that it can be done really well, actually. I think that there are some things that I've had to kind of, I don't want to say rules because I, as a rebel, don't like rules, but there are parameters that I've put around my Zoom classes that maybe not all teachers do that I feel strongly about, like cameras on. And, uh, you know, not a lot of teachers do that, but actually that's for me was also an insurance issue. That's not initially why I did it, but then I found out through my insurance that cameras on is key, but like, they just know that however they show up is how they show up. And there's also for some, maybe a vulnerability about showing their space behind them and mm-hmm. my family doing back here. And, mm-hmm. and I know, think that's zoom backgrounds has helped. I think a lot with that too. Yeah. So the theme that my mind is going to, as I'm listening to you is non-judgment, this ability to show up how we are authentically and to do it the way we need to have it done to be comfortable. And that Nick is going to not judge us or push us into rules or, you know, that we can just kind of come as you are type of Mm -hmm. feeling. I often tell my Zoom students, look, I don't even care if you do the practice. Mm. Like if you're just really struggling and you don't even know if you want to move that much, just show up. I don't care if you nap on your mat. Like if you get value of showing up for yourself here and being in community, whether or not you do the asana or which ones you do or for how long, or if you want to swap this out for that, like I care not just show up. And that's another reason that I do the check-in at the beginning. I mean, my classes are themed because I'm a yoga therapist, you know, so I have a class for back pain and, but we do the check-in so that I can know if what I have in mind, I always think of my classes more like I have a class recipe rather than a plan. So we can swap out ingredients as needed. So, you know, if I have something in mind and like everyone says they're anxious, I'm going to change things up. Or if everyone's exhausted, you know, then maybe we're going to do more stillness and less movement. Yeah. Do you feel going back to the non-judgment? Cause now I'm hooked on this. Do you feel that you've in your life been a non-judgmental person or do you feel that that's something mm. you've done? Well, I mean, I think every human is judgmental to some extent. For sure. Yeah. But I would say that having been somebody myself who has always been misjudged, I feel like I come at it from a different perspective. So that's one part of it is that when you've been misjudged your whole life, I mean, I could list the millions of ways, then I think it makes you hyper aware of that. Mm. And then the other thing I would say is my yoga and even maybe more so my meditation and say yin yoga practice have really given me the tool of being able to step away from my immediate thought and observe what it is that my mind is doing. And that makes me less judgmental because I can see when my mind is being judgmental, I can be like, Oh, look at you just spinning out of control. They're telling all kinds of stories. You're looking at those Birkenstocks telling all. Yeah. It's like, "Uh listen to you going on and on and on and on in your head about this person that you've never even met. And so I think that my yoga practice and maybe even more so my seated meditation practice has given me the gift to be able to pause and notice when I do it and just label it. And then I usually laugh at myself and then it goes away. You know, it's like, Oh, look at you. Look what you're doing. Okay. Interesting. Now, of course, am I a hundred percent successful with that all the time? No, I'm a very human person, but I also think it comes down to, I genuinely don't care 
what other people do, as long as they're not harming anyone. I think if more people in society just had that attitude, we would have a lot less problems. Yeah. I mean, I just think whether it's, you know, what you do for a living, what you neighborhood you live in, silly is what you wear, what your religious beliefs are, what your cultural background is. I just genuinely want people to have their own experience. And I'm very curious. I've always been really fascinated by humans. And so like, I'm one of those people that, which is apparently quite rare nowadays in the days of cancel culture. I actually like to talk to people who don't have my similar perspective Mm -hmm. because I want to learn, first of all. And secondly, how do I know that my perspective is actually my perspective if I've never heard opposing perspective? And I certainly have not always been great at this, but now I really don't shy away from listening to people and their opinions and their thoughts like very different than mine. And it's not that I don't get triggered. Of course I do. But I, again, I can observe it. I can be like, okay, this is bringing up some objections in me that I'm feeling like I want to like get in there with my opinion and my facts. And I can usually, not always, but I can usually manage to kind of step back from that. So I really just think if we can not be so attached to our opinion, our thoughts, our beliefs, because I've lived around, I'm 50 now. I've lived long enough to know there are some things I used to believe I do not believe anymore. And not only were they not helpful or useful, they were not skillful. There are things I used to believe that I 100% don't agree with anymore. Now that I have more experience, more experience of my own, I've talked to more people. And so I always have that in the back of my head that you've been wrong before. (laughs) So like a little bit of humble pie, listen, listen fully as much as you can. Now, of course, I'm not talking about a situation of abuse. I have no space for that. Luckily, I professionally do not have to deal with folks that do that. And so like, that's not something that I would tolerate in my spaces, nor would I put myself through. But I think that sometimes almost like our culture has gotten so sensitive that they almost can't even hear another person's perspective. And I think that's a real loss. You know, it's such a sensitive topic to bring up, but let's go there because it is, it is. You know, I think especially in the yoga world and those of us who care about equality and equity, and I noticed you have a sliding scale to mm-hmm. help people. It is interesting how we're almost not able to even have a conversation. We just want everyone on the left to agree that this is exactly how it is. And there's no shades of any gray or brown or you know, white or tan or like, we all believe it exactly this way and don't say anything if you don't. And I'm just finding that a little toxic. Not that I don't have the same values as the people that I'm speaking with about equity and inclusion and belonging. And, but I think it's only healthy to have real conversations and authentic conversations where we're not scared to get those refinements with one another. And I also think that You know, there's that saying, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. Mm -hmm. I feel like the online world is definitely that way. And I always feel like when one of these kind of conversations comes up about equity or inclusion, I'm just going to say this. And first of all, if anyone who's listening, you can't see me. 
I pass for white. So let's just get that out of the way. I have some first nations descent in me, but it's not visible. And I feel like there are so many times I'm listening to typically white liberal female yoga teachers scream about a minority group, but they don't even have any friends in that group. So I'm like, well, have you talked to your friends about this? And maybe it's because I don't know if it's my generation or the fact that I used to be a hairstylist. So, I mean, I've been around the LGBTQ, all of the extras plus the things long before they even had a flag. And so to me, I'm just like, just have a conversation with people. Right. You know, my father is 81 now. So tail end of the silent generation and was raised in a small rural community. Although he is an amazing man and would give any human being the shirt off his back. You know, he's got some baggage that comes with him. Not so much as actually how he feels about people, but just in languaging that he would use. And, you know, I remember him at one point saying to me, it was many years ago, he said, you know, he'd been out on one of these outback riding trips. He said, when did we have to start calling them First Nations? Because, you know, he knew not Indian, but then he was like, I can't remember even what word he had used with the person who is First Nations. And they corrected him. And he was like, oh, okay, sorry. Like, he's always very like, sorry, okay. Like, he'll call anybody anything that they want. But he just was having trouble keeping up, you know? And I'm not having trouble keeping up because my life is so much online that it's like, I'm keeping up. But I totally could understand now a little bit more how he feels. When you start canceling anybody who even asks a question, not makes a statement, not says something unskillful, but just even says, hey, I'm not clear on this. That's a big problem to me because there's a huge percentage of the population you're no longer listening to anymore. And there's generalizations, right? That go around that, like you said, that all of us, you know, Caucasian women of a certain age all have the same beliefs on everything or that all people of color have the same beliefs on everything. It's overly simplistic and it doesn't leave any room for nuance and for conversation and for learning and getting to know each other. Yeah. I think that's really what I'm valuing about what you're saying is we've lost the ability to have the tolerance with one another to sit in an uncomfortable place together Even if we agree on 99% of the things like, oh, you didn't use the right word, or you do have a gap here that (laughs) needs to be, you know, refined a bit. I just really love what you're saying about just letting us talk together. And, you know, I think that's easy for us because some people might say that there's a lot of emotional labor that's happening. Just to be in conversation takes emotional labor. And I don't know any other way forward. Then be in truly human relationships together and to care about each other and to help each other walk home together. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases that I use when I do find that someone is expressing something that disagrees with my own sensibility. And I feel like I'm getting, I don't want to use the word triggered because that actually has a medical definition. And I think, feel like the word triggers just tossed around like confetti nowadays. But when somebody says something that maybe pushes a button in me and I'm trying to come to conversations from a place of openness and listening, I found that there's this little phrase that I've introduced that, that helps me to know, like to acknowledge, okay, this is coming up in me, but also still invites them to keep talking. And it's just as simple as, hmm, tell me more about that. 
because that helps me acknowledge something's coming up for me here, but I'm not shutting down that space for other people to share. And I think this idea that you have to agree 100% with every person that you have in your life on every single thing is frankly a bit immature Mm. and impossible. There's no way you're going to agree with every single thing with everybody, even people who, like you said, you have mostly similar beliefs. There might be one thing where you don't agree. And when did we stop being okay with disagreeing on things and still treating each other with love and respect and openness and kindness? You know, over the last many years, whether it's been students or faculty who have slightly different perspectives than me, we've really had some friction over it. You know, I'm running a yoga therapy school and I want us to have a pretty similar viewpoint on many things. But what I've learned is that I can be non-judgmental. I can love them, even though we don't agree on everything. Mm-hmm. They can love me. And we can work through the rest. And I don't know. I just feel like our culture has lost that ability. Mm -hmm. It's been hard work. Don't get me wrong. But I'm really glad, whether it's students or faculty, that we're willing to stay in it together. Yeah. And I would rather have a conversation with somebody than feel like we can't have that conversation because we're checking all the I'm a good person boxes, Mm -hmm. you know? Do I have the right emojis in my profile online? There's just so many things now that people will do under the guise of being inclusive, but it's the easy things to do. It's easy to put an emoji in your social media profile, which is why I don't have any. It's easy to put your pronouns in your bio, but do you know any trans people? Right. So Again, I'm not interested in the virtue signaling that has come out. I'm interested in actually connecting with people who I don't understand with to whatever degree that they're willing to. Again, like you said, emotional labor, right? And learning on my own as well. But I think that we need a serious dose of humility if we're making decisions about our so-called allyship without actually talking to the people that we're trying to be allies for. Mm. Because we might be surprised actually at what they do need or what they do want. Yeah. And even expanding it outside of that, like even just learning to speak with one another heart to heart Mm -hmm. as human beings over the Thanksgiving dinner table or, you know, like, I just feel like we have lost that ability. Yeah, I agree. I guess I just don't understand where this idea of we don't have identical opinions on everything. So therefore you're a bad person came from. And again, I'm not talking about the actual isms, right? Like the racism, I'm not talking about those situations. I'm just talking about like general conversations with people where it's like, maybe we don't hundred percent agree on something. That's okay. You know, because my perspective has shifted on things when I listen to people. That's right. Who actually have a direct lived felt experience of what they're talking about versus my theories and the books I've read, and the conferences I've attended. That's all head knowledge. Mm -hmm. Heart knowledge comes from actually sitting face-to-face, having a tea, having a conversation, being willing to be humble, being willing to listen, even when it doesn't fit your idea of what you thought this person might say. I can't count how many friends I have that are in these minority groups, and they don't even sometimes feel safe saying that we're way off track. 
This isn't about emojis in our bio that really like what they want to know is in a real life situation. Do you have their back? Right. Yeah. Oof. We were not mm-hmm. getting into all this. We went there. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing you say in many different ways that I want to point out and get across is that as we walk through life as people who practice yoga, there's a whole internal dialogue that's happening inside of us, watching ourselves have that quickening within like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not breathing at this moment. What's that about? Or watching ourselves feeling anxious or watching ourselves not wanting to have a conversation or, you know, or watching ourselves make that judgment about someone that we don't even know. I think that's a really interesting thing that yoga can help us with is that internal conversation we're having with ourselves. Yeah. Learning that we are not our thoughts, that we're having thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually one of the reasons I love that phrase. Tell me more about that because you actually can't say that without leaning in. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who can say, tell me more about that while leaning away. (laughs) And that's what we usually want to do when somebody has said something that kind of sparks something in us. We tend to want to like pull back and like distance ourselves. But when you pause and you go, huh, I hadn't thought about that. Tell me more about that. Or what do you mean by that? That forces you to lean in and it softens the edge of that kind of judging mind. So you may still disagree with them completely once you've actually had a chance to listen. But I find in those kinds of situations, even if you disagree with the person after having the conversation, there's such a sense of mutual respect there and admiration for just being two humans on the path. Whereas when you get kind of tweaked that way and you tend to pull back, the walls come up and even if you don't say anything, I mean, we all know you can detect that in another person. Even if you're not physically there, even if you were on the phone, you can feel and hear and see when somebody has now pulled back or recoiled from you. To me, this is yoga. Right. Right. That's like point right there. Yeah like, that yeah. like sure. I do my asana practice to help me with my pain and to soothe my nervous system. And all of these things are wonderful tools and I love them all. But if I'm doing that and then I'm going out into the world and I'm judging everybody and I'm not listening and I'm not being compassionate, I've missed the point. Yeah. The yamas are the first limbs of yoga for a reason, right? That this Mm -hmm. ways of being socially together, that is like step number one. And I agree with you that it takes my asana pranayama meditation practice to come back to my yamas, even though yamas are supposed to be the first thing. If I'm not balanced, I'm not doing a very good job in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so it's through the rest of the eight limbs that I can come back and revisit how I'm acting socially and, where I'm getting off track and where I'm judging people and not listening and all of what we've talked about today. Yeah. I'm Buddhist. So I tend to lean more towards the non-Orthodox tradition of Buddhist, which is also from India, but very similar, you know, as far as like, there are things that we take into us when we do the practices mm. to make us, I just always think the easiest way to phrase it is to be kinder humans. Yeah. The whole reason that I do what I do is to help create in my own small way, a world with more kind humans. 
So what I know for sure is that when someone is in persistent pain or their anxiety is through the roof or they're totally depressed or they're just on their last nerve, they're just scraping by in life, then anything extra that gets thrown their way, they cannot respond. They will react. And we can see this in our world. It's everywhere. So if I can give a few people some resources Mm -hmm. so that they are calm, they're not in a persistent pain so that then they can go sit around that dinner table with their family at Thanksgiving and their uncle who, you know, or aunt or whoever it is that is going to make them go, Oh, I have to go pee again. Excuse me a moment. I suddenly got a phone call and I think I need to leave. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be right back. They'll have the resources to do that. And that's a start. And then maybe they'll even develop the resources to listen to that person's words and see what's behind the words. Yeah. I'm always looking for that. What is behind that belief? What has been that person's felt lived experience that has given them that belief? I mean, if I look at my own upbringing, for example, so my parents divorced when I was six and my parents couldn't be more opposite. So my mother has some serious mental health issues, but she was also a writer and an activist. And so, I mean, we had all kinds of political conversations happening at my kitchen table. I was the little kid hiding under the kitchen table, listening to them debate, you know, politics and what the heck is going on in this country and on and on and on. My mom has had all genders, all sexual orientations. I mean, there was just everybody around in our household. So that was never an issue for me growing up. And then I think about, you know, had I been raised by my father, who beautiful human being, salt of the earth man, but small town, Alberta guy, I would have been raised with a completely different environment. And so I might have different opinions. And so I think when you don't allow that kind of curiosity to like, where is that person's viewpoint coming from, from their own lived experience? I guess I'm just a nerd. I always want to dig deeper. I always want to know where is that coming from? Like what created that belief? What thoughts are around that? What emotions are around that? What coping skill came in? You know, I find when I can stay in a place of curiosity and humility, those are two big guiding ships in my life, humility and curiosity. It's just far better. I feel less separate. So you say curiosity and humility, but one other thing that I'm sensing from you, and I'm just meeting you today, so you can tell me if this is incorrect, but I feel like you're kind of radically honest with yourself. Try to be. How do you do that? Because to me, we can be kind or think we're being kind, but if we're not really being honest with ourselves, it squirts out in really dysfunctional ways. Well, I'm lucky that I have people in my life too that will call me on my BS. So that helps my partner specifically. He has zero problem saying, you know what (laughs) you might think, but actually, you know, so that's helpful. I guess I don't expect to be perfect. Mm. I don't expect to know things. I don't expect to have it all figured out. And so I, that takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I just feel like maybe I was put here to learn. I've always been so curious and so wanting to learn. And I'm also have zero problem apologizing Mm. when I've been unskillful. I don't have a problem going back to somebody even years later and saying, Hey, so I've got a new framework now. And I realize I maybe wasn't 
as open or as supportive with you in this, even if this person's not in my life anymore with you in this situation, as I now in hindsight, wish that I would have been. And I just wanted you to know that. I don't know why, maybe a psychologist could tell us why (laughs) people find it so hard to be wrong and so hard to apologize. It's just never been something that I've struggled with. Now, that being said, I won't apologize if I don't think I've done anything wrong. I can hold space for someone's feelings around something I've said or done, even if I still think they're valid. One example is I used to have a friend who was really struggled with their mental health. And at the time in the space where I was at, again, this was pre-yoga therapy training, I was one of those people who used to put silver linings on things. And so when this person was in the dark and in the muck, I was doing the well, at least you have this or, well, you know, what if you tried I was being like that toxic positivity person and just constantly kind of pointing to the good or offering a solution. And I didn't realize it until years later, until I had my own incredibly messy experience with anxiety and noticed how some of my friends and family responded to my needs at the time. And that's when I saw clear as day that there were the people were so uncomfortable with my emotional state that they wanted to fix everything. And then there were the people who could just sit in the dark with me and maybe bring me some groceries. And when I witnessed that in my own life, I realized, oh, I've been that person who's like, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I don't know what to do here. So let's find some positive solutions and fix things. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but you have to feel the feels first. And I think you have to have the shadow before you can find the light. And so I didn't have a problem though, reaching out to that friend and saying, so, Hey, I know I haven't seen you in like seven years, but I recently had a little bit of a meltdown period of my life. And I had this experience with these two kinds of friends. And I realized I was the friend who was trying to fix everything for you. And that's probably not what you needed. And I just wanted to let you know, I know that now. And I'm sorry about that. Hmm. So I think humility and curiosity are the key to being a kinder human, right? If you think you have to do everything right, you have to be perfect. Then if you don't do everything right and you don't do things that are perfect, you are going to defend those things to the grave because you're not okay with being a fellow flawed human who makes mistakes and learns their lessons and has to apologize for some things. Whereas if you can come at this from a frame of, I'm just a human being doing the best that I can, like all of you are, and I mess things up. And when I do, I'm going to learn from them. And then I'm going to go back and say, huh, sorry, (laughs) that was not very skillful. And to go back, I didn't expect anything from this friend. We actually have lost touch over the years. Like I wasn't expecting to rekindle a friendship and we didn't lose touch over anything that happened between us. It was just time, space, different province. You know, I wasn't expecting anything from them. I just wanted them to know that, like, I realize now what I could have done better. And I didn't get much of a response. I think they were so surprised that they were just like, wow, okay, thank you. Yeah. Because people don't do it, right? You don't get apologies often. So people are often taken aback, you know, when somebody just says, hey, this was my bad. I love that idea of just going in with no expectation that I need to do this for me to feel right in my heart and I want to, but you don't have to accept my apology or you don't have to 
say, wow, that made such a difference, or I've moved beyond that now. Don't worry about it. Like just no expectations. Just, I just wanted to let you know. Yeah. I wonder sometimes too, if this is where imposter syndrome comes from, if people think that they have to know everything and be perfect and be amazing at everything. And so that's why they feel like an imposter. What if you just said, actually, I'm just going to be human. Mm. Cause from my experience, when you let go of needing to be perfect, you can just settle for being amazing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to stop. Let's not be perfect. Let's stop <laughs> for being amazing. Thank you, Nick. It's really, I had no idea where this was going to go. I don't think we answered any of the questions I sent to you. And in fact, I think we pretty much only talked about the one you said you didn't need to talk about today. <laughs> well, the, the reason I mentioned that is because I was like, that could be a whole episode, that one question. And it has been. <laughs> well, thank you for being brave enough to just go to some of these more difficult places. And I do think this is a really great episode to be released around the holidays when most of us will be with friends, family, colleagues, that we do need to be a little bit more curious and humble and listen and soothe ourselves when we have those hot spots come up. So I think it ended perfectly. I think it was Ramdas, wasn't it? That said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend the weekend with your family. That's right. That's right. Mm. Well, thank you, Nick. We were really pleased to have you here today. Thank you. It was lovely to be with you. Thank you, Nick Danu, for being with us today and having such a really delicate conversation. I think many of us are scared to speak about this in public. And the fact that we did it on a podcast, I'm, I'm already feeling like, oh, no, what have we done? But I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. And I think it's okay to have uncomfortable, brave conversations and risk being imperfect, risk being completely wrong, risk getting pushback and feedback. I think if we're truly living our yoga on and off the yoga mat, we are willing to move into these spaces of trying to be more tolerant of one another, even when we believe the same things, you know, maybe you and I have 95% of our beliefs that are very similar, can we be tolerant of those areas that maybe we just have a little difference? And then there's other people have a totally different worldview. And can we lean into that and get curious about that? Also assuming that they're not being racist or sexist or all of the isms. And of course, we'd want to call out and say, I don't agree with you. And here's why. But when I asked Nick about being radically honest with ourselves, because that's where it really starts, is being honest with what you feel inside and then getting curious about why do I feel that way? Why do you feel that way? What was I taught as a child that makes me have these beliefs and values that I have? And I asked Nick, how have you become so radically honest with yourself? And what keeps us from being radically honest with ourselves? I've studied this a lot, like the times that I have basically covered up something, chosen to ignore something, they've been painful. Those have been the most painful times of my life where I basically lied to myself because I couldn't face the truth. I didn't think I'd survive with the truth. I wanted to pretend that something wasn't happening. Somehow that was, I think, a survival mechanism for me. I think it all came from fear. 
that if I admit to myself what's really going on inside of me, what's going to happen next? Who will I be excluded by? Who will I have to face? Where will I be rejected? Who will say that I'm not okay? I'm not a good person. I'm not living my yoga. Like, What are the ramifications of me being really honest with myself and then eventually being really honest with people that I'm willing to have these hard discussions with, these very refined and delicate discussions with? And, you know, that fear of needing to be perfect and do it right all the time. I just don't see how we're going to move forward together if we come in with that. I think if we can soften into the uncomfortable feelings and have that nervousness in our stomach and be willing to show up as flawed human beings that are learning and growing and changing and shifting all the time as admitting that we don't have it all figured out and therefore it's okay to be humble and curious. I think that's the only way forward for us. So I wish you well for this holiday season. I hope that you can manage family relationships, friendships, colleagues, but most of all, I hope you can manage within your own heart and your own mind and breathe and feel and work with your nervous system and be radically honest with yourself because until we can work on that, I don't know if we have a chance to be honest and work with others. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We love to give you the gift of this podcast each week, and we'd love your support. You can support us through becoming a Patreon member. You can download the Optimal State mobile app and join as a member of the mobile app community. You can give us a great rating on the platform that you listen to this podcast on and many other things that would help us. Contact us if you'd like to be of support. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to our continued relationship with you. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.